Hey folks, just checking in here ahead of the show to tell you about a couple of our sponsors. We've got a guest this week, and I didn't want to subject him to reading off some ads. Uh, first things first, of course, meetatmidfield.com. That is the website that is associated with the podcast. That is the place where you can get the written form of things like the premium top 25 that we just put out, the unlocked premium. Um, usually those premium episodes will not be locked or unlocked. Usually they will be locked. Usually they will be uh, kept behind a, a brick wall, sort of sealed up, uh, tricked to go down there with the, you know, the the, the appeal of a potential uh, wine tasting beverage, wine flavored beverage. But then, guess what? They're sealed up. You can't get to them unless you go to meetatmidfield.com and subscribe. Uh, there's all sorts of good stuff over there. There is, of course, the the you know the articles. We love the articles. Ryan's doing his articles. I'm doing my articles. There are other articles even than that. Uh, many are saying that it's the website with the most articles. Um, and then you also get access, I think this is probably the best part, to the the forum, the board, the community board, uh, which has been recently, I would say, maligned for its discussion. Uh, it's frank and brave discussion of baby gronk um those all those allegations are not true uh ryan has had nothing to do with baby gronk he is not baby gronk's dad all of those those allegations are false and and frankly slanderous uh but if you want to uh to stand in in support of us in our upcoming legal effort to clear ryan's good name uh meet at midfield.com get on the board start posting doing do all the stuff that uh that college football fans Love more than anything else, which is posting. Uh, Flipping the Field is also, of course, brought to you by HomeFieldApparel.com. Homefield Apparel, high-quality collegiate vintage apparel. Uh, just put out a really, really good North Texas collection. I love that stuff. I always, you guys know, I love the the smaller schools, and so that one is specifically appealing to me. But they have bigger schools. If you don't have the uh, the morality that I do, frankly, the the moral stance against Power Five schools, they have stuff there like Oklahoma incoming, like Texas incoming. I think I think Texas is in there, but um, they've got all sorts of cool stuff. They have collections of, I mean, pretty much every school. In college football at this point, we're getting we're getting pretty low on schools that they don't have and even schools that aren't in college football. Uh, go over to homefieldapparel.com, and if it's your first time over there, use the code MEET at MIDFIELD for 15% off your first purchase. Again, that is homefieldapparel.com. Use the code MEET at MIDFIELD. Enjoy the episode. Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm your host, Patrick Mayhorn, and I'm joined this week not by Ryan, who has been compromised to a permanent end, but by longtime friend of the show. I would say longest time friend of the show, Colton Denning at Dubsco on Twitter. Uh, Colton, how's it going, man? Uh, I'm doing good, Patrick. I- I'm glad to be back on Flipping the Field in... The way that it was put to me is that Ryan is out because it's a sabbatical and he's living this life of excess, but I I have a deeper, darker theory on what's really going on here and why Ryan is out for the week. So I'm I'm on a big uh, mid-2000s, late-2000s West Virginia kick right now. I'm cutting a lot of highlights. You could probably guess who those are about, but I'm Mm -hmm. watching a lot of West Virginia from that era, and I think it's 2008 and... Uh, there's this game where they're playing USF, and I think it's it's senior day. It's Pat White's last game, but it's post Steve Slayton and Noel Devine, everybody's favorite, mm. is 
He's he's the guy now. He is the guy at running back. He's having a great season. I think at this point he's already over a thousand yards. But like the last three games, his carries have gone down, and uh, Bill Stewart's walking the line between like yeah, he's kind of in the doghouse, and also like his ankle hurts. Yeah. But they go through the first quarter, and he has zero carries, and the commentators are like, "This looks like he is suspended for the first quarter." But Bill Stewart <laughs> keeps telling us that he's injured and then sure enough literally the very first play of the second quarter noel divine is out on the field and they're like yeah he was definitely suspended yeah and my theory here is that ryan is serving a one-week suspension for the uh impermissible hit that pussy from the back friday tweets <laughs> last week but those are just my theories i don't yeah. have any sources on that but uh that's that's what i'm guessing yeah you're i don't know if you're you're not far off there you know we of course we don't talk about uh in-house issues publicly we, we, we like to handle those within the within the team but uh yeah it's a violation of team rules for sure uh he didn't he wasn't showing up to team meetings he was too busy posting entirely inappropriate things to to the timeline surprised he didn't put that one in the circle and was I was gonna usually usually you only see things like that from him in the circle but uh yeah he's he's serving a suspension right now and he'll be he'll be back shortly man you that that is really the the ultimate sign of of how you grind those old college football broadcasts is that you're watching post rich rod west virginia of the 2000s right because like those teams were still pretty good i mean they like bill stewart came in and won nine games three times and then got the hell out of there he's like i'm done i'm out of here um but like you don't ever nobody ever talks about 2008 west virginia 2007 is where everyone stopped watching west virginia it's just oh well it's done party's over but they were still i mean they were still pretty good yeah, they were winning nine games in like that last year Pat White had without uh, Schmidt and Steve Slayton and Darius Raynaud, who was like mm-hmm. a really, really underrated player, is like uh, later in the season, I forget which game it is, they show like a graphic of their rushing yards per game that year compared to the year before. And it was like, God damn, Steve Slayton is, or Pat White is doing all of this on his own. And like Noel Devine was there too. But Noel Devine, the more I go back and watch him, he is like the ultimate feast or famine. Like he's either getting 30 yards or he's losing five yards. He is yeah. not getting you a six yard run ever. But yeah, those were some, they were better teams than I remembered. But also I was like, wow, all of the explosiveness was just gone as soon as that duo left. Yeah. Yeah. Noah Devine was the, it's the most fraudulent six yards per carry career average of all time, right? <laughs> like he was not, yeah, he, he, it ended up at six, but he was never getting you six. That's not what he's, that's not what he's good for. It's one or 20. He's somewhere. Well, what in, I yeah. kept, what I kept thinking about too, was like between him and uh, I posted this this screen cap last night of like it was it was him, um, it was Tavon Austin, and who was the Stedman Bailey? Yeah. And then yeah. Darius Raynaud, Steve Slayton, all these dudes were under like five ten, and it just reminded me of like that dark period after Ohio State won the national championship, where most of Ohio State's like passing offense slash running game was just like, what if we give the ball to these five? eight playmakers yeah and that was just their whole receiving core and i was just like oh imagine if seven dontre wilsons were out on the field how <laughs> terrible would this be that sounds great to me that sounds like the team that i would build that's uh 
that's not too shabby. See, yesterday, because we were talking on, you you and I were talking on the timeline briefly about the 2019 Ohio State-Nebraska game, and I went back to look because I wanted to see the drive where Nebraska ran the I-form option, and it was very jarring seeing Ohio State playing with uh, Benjamin Victor and Austin Mack as their top two oh receivers. God. It's like, holy shit, this was really not that long ago um, that they were <laughs> they were just breaking no. out just some guy. They just had some guy out there, and then like uh, you see like a little bit of Garrett Wilson you're like what is what's he doing on the bench what are you you doing what is the point of this um it's awesome it's cool the just the the depth of like not very good receivers in college football it's a it's a a well-respected tradition of guys who are just kind of there um and they exist all over the country when we love to watch them we love to see guys who are just like sometimes they show flashes of being good but usually they're just there usually they're just that, sort of that seems like a great way to transition into what we're talking about today oh yeah yeah we got a conference full of guys just regular old guys running around we're previewing the mountain west today um conference that i have become very familiar with in my last year of covering utah state football and and other sports but uh, a conference that is coming off of a i would say a not very good 2022 season it was not uh the quality that we had become accompanied or uh, accustomed to with the mountain west but it was also really just not the entertainment value that we had sort of gotten used to with this league um boise state still got to 10 wins but was uh, down relative to what it usually is um fresno state had that month where they weren't doing anything they just didn't have jake hayner and so they weren't doing anything and then some of the usually top of the league teams like san diego state and like utah state just sort of weren't very good just kind of fell off a cliff had injury issues or scheme issues or any number of things and, and so the league was not what it had been um and, and this year I think that it's reasonable to sort of expect a little bit of a bounce back, but I'm going to be honest, a lot of these teams are still, they have a lot of questions to answer and not a lot of obvious answers for those questions. Um, and, and so I, I'm, it's it kind of feels like it might be similar year this year in the Mountain West because there are a lot of teams turning over at pretty important positions. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way about the Mountain West that I kind of feel about the MAC right now. Yeah. Like, I, I love that, Almost anybody can beat anyone on a given week, which is great. Like you get such a diverse set of games and a diverse set of winners. And I like a lot of the programs in the conference, but I'd also like to see a legitimate powerhouse mm-hmm. because not, not like not only does it give the conference a seat in discussions at a national level, like at least to some extent, even if it's minor, it gives a target on somebody's back for all the other teams to shoot for. And I think it's ultimately kind of healthier for the league because you can get these semi hardcore fans like Ryan. I mean, he, who is a hardcore fan. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to bury him like that, but like yeah. him, who's not going to watch mountain West every single week, you can get him interested in that. Yeah. And they, they already have the sick fucks like us who are going to watch San Jose state and Fresno state yeah. regardless, but like it needs some star power on a team level. And it just doesn't feel like it's there right now. Like you, you talked about Boise state and like, yeah, they, they won those games last year, but it wasn't fun. It wasn't pretty. No. It really just was a chore to watch them. And there's there's not a lot of teams in this conference right now where you're just like, yeah, I'm super hyped to watch these guys play. Yeah. Yeah. There are players. There are guys who I like. You know, Taylor Green, I think, is a lot of fun. Torrey Horton is good. Um, there are, there are guys around the league who are interesting, but this year especially, it just doesn't feel quite like there are 
teams to watch. Like there are full teams of, oh, you got to see these guys. You know, like last year there were times where you could say that about Fresno State. I think Fresno State lived up to expectations when it was healthy. Um, But there were also times that it didn't. And there were times where Boise State showed these flashes, but likely, you know, largely, like you said, it it was a chore. It was not fun to watch them play because you'd get games like, you know, 1914 win over Air Force or you know low scoring close game against Wyoming or then the other side of it is a blowout you know it's not competitive against like Colorado State um there's a there's a little bit too much of that and I I fear that that's probably going to be the case again this year um but uh we we can we can kick this off here we're just going to go alphabetical order because there are no divisions in this league anymore it's just 12 team race to finish at the top of the standings and starting us off here is one of the best teams from last year and, and really consistently one of the best programs in this conference, it's Air Force, uh, which uh, coming off a 10-3 and three season, you kind of you kind of know the deal with Air Force, right? They're, they're sort of the last uh, stalwart, under center, triple option team as, as Army and Navy both try to not go away from it, but uh, distance themselves a little bit from it. Air Force is still very much holding strong there. Um, but the, the strength of the team last year was actually kind of the defense, and I think that's going to be the case again this year as they try to replace Hazeek Daniels and try to replace Brad Roberts and, and really a pretty big chunk of that offensive skill core that has led them these last couple of years. I think if you're a if you're a team in that situation, like you said, that's still so entrenched in running like the true triple two, mm-hmm. like you would probably rather have what they're going into the year with where you know you can count on your defense and the offense is a little bit up in the air because I feel like you're more confident in the fact that like, hey, we, we already know what we're going to do, why we're bringing these kids in to run this offense. If it hits, then it's going to hit big. And like maybe this is a – uh, going to be a common theme for all the teams here, but like just looking at Air Force's schedule, it's like if the offense is good, man, yeah, uh, they they can win just as many games. Like their non-con is Robert Morris, Sam Houston State in their first year, and then of course Navy and Army. But like the conference schedule: Utah State at home, at San Jose State, SDSU at home, Wyoming at home, at Colorado State, at Hawaii, UNLV at home, and then at Boise State. Like. If, if they get things cooking a little bit, that could be a double-digit win season. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this was like last year, statistically speaking, one of the best defenses in football. I mean, they were they were awesome, and a huge chunk of that defense is back. Jaden Thurgood and, and Peyton, I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to try. Peyton something. Peyton with the Z last name uh, are both back at tackle. They've got Alec, Alec Mock back at linebacker. Bo Richter's awesome. Like, uh, can be golf, Michael Mack. Like this is a really, really awesome defense. Even with a, uh, you know, they had a new defensive coordinator last year with Brian Noren. I thought he did a, a really good job in year one. Um, it is just going to be, I think the ceiling is set basically by what they get at quarterback with, you know, probably Jensen Jones, I think, but he's not played much. Ben Britton hasn't played much. It's really been sort of the Hazeek Daniels show, which is a bummer because he had another year of eligibility and entered the transfer portal and then did not get his, uh, his application for grad school. Man, that whole situation Um, sucked ass. Yeah, just a huge bummer. So now we, we lose out on one more year of Hazeek Daniels in college football because his, you know, application was denied. Um, would have been nice to see him stick around, but also I understand, you know, (laughs) the service academies are not for everybody. And I don't, I don't really blame him for not wanting to join the air force. (laughs) It seems like a tough way, a tough path to go if you're talented enough, which I think he is. Um, 
But it's 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 pretty much just replacing him, and then also, of course, replacing the production of Brad Roberts, which is a lot easier said than done because Brad Roberts rushed for like a million yards across you know, three or four years as their their tailback. Um, I do like John John Lee Eldridge a lot. I'm I'm a little bit afraid that he's just a big play running back, and I don't know exactly how that fits within this offense. But um, it's it's still pretty hard to bet against Air Force's offense finding something. It's just, it it does scare me a little bit to have a new quarterback in this system because it is so dependent on having a quarterback yeah. you can trust. Yeah, and I think that you at least have a little bit of a runway with those first couple of games, and then even Utah State, San Jose State, which shout out to the Mountain West for moving that to Friday because I am absolutely going to go to that game because I'm like 15 minutes away from San Jose State. Um, Like, it's with Air Force, like you said, if we know the defense is going to be good, and if whatever happens at quarterback is good, then this is a team that could be just as proficient, just as good as they were last year and the year before that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just that, that quarterback thing is always a question with these teams. That's been a thing for, for army for years is, you know, well, the rest of the team looks awesome, but somebody has to run this option. And I think that's going to be the thing at, at air force defense should be great. Uh, I'm sure they'll find skill guys just need to see if Jensen Jones can figure it out. Um, next up, probably the league's favorite coming into the season, I think fairly because they were, you know, in the conference title game a year ago and they return a huge chunk of that team. It's Boise state, uh, who we talked about a little bit ahead of time here, but, uh, if you saw Boise state play last year, I think you're probably going to largely recognize them this year. The team's pretty similar. Uh, Taylor Green is back at quarterback. George Halani is back next to him at halfback. They've got all of their receivers back, Stephen Cobbs, Latrell Caples, and Billy Bowens. Um, most of the offensive line returns. And the defense, which was good but got a little bit worse, admittedly, as the season went on, is also largely intact. They do have some guys to replace um, at basically all three levels, but there's talent there. Dimitri Washington um, I like Say Aladipo a lot. He didn't play a ton last year, but I think he is really good when they do let him on the field. Um, the question here is basically, you know, can Andy Avalos coach? Because I still don't know that we know the answer to that. Because last year he kind of had his, uh, you know, had his ass saved by, uh, oh, what's his name? The offensive coordinator. Dirk Cutter. That's right. Yeah, Dirk Cutter, who came in as an interim to replace the offensive coordinator, Tim Plow, who they fired. Uh, Cutter's gone. He's no longer here. So they've lost their shadow head coach, and now it's pretty much just, can Andy Avalos make this work with what is pretty easily the best roster in the conference? I'm, I'm like, all in my notes, I kept writing down, like, that I'm just leaning on the fence on what Boise State is. And then, like, I pull up the schedule right now. The non-conference is brutal they got to play at washington and then ucf the first two weeks i don't think they're winning either of those games and just based off of everything you said and watching them last year uh when they lost that game to utep whatever that was like week four or five Mm -hmm. i thought that they were just straight up fucking done yeah we and then ryan and i like ryan and i got in here and we were like around yeah ryan and i got on here and we're like is he gonna get fired Yeah, going to get fired. Awful. Yeah, they were and terrible. They have the skill talent, but like you said, Cutter's gone, and I, I feel like I have written down here that Andy Avalos is kind of like Bizarro World G Five Ryan Day in the sense mm-hmm. that like he's learning on the job that like yeah, he's a defensive guy and he can uh, scheme up all he wants defensively, and the defense can be good, but he's the head coach now. Like if the offense is bad, he is responsible for that. Yeah, and hopefully for his sake and Boise State's sake, he learned the lessons of that 
through last season and kind of how the second half of the year went. But like with the non-con and just what we saw from them from the first part of last year, I'm just not buying into their second half being better because it really was like Dirk Cutter just came in and everything changed and now he's gone. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that Andy Avalos is just not a good head coach. And I yeah. think that maybe that doesn't result in Boise going to like four and eight, but I think you're going to see five or six losses from them just because he just isn't a great head coach. Yeah, there is very much a sense out here, not just at, at you know the school that I cover, but with a lot of schools where people I've talked to, reporters I've talked to, of like, we're not really all that scared of Boise State right now. We're not really all that scared of Andy Avalos specifically with his, you know, the guy who was kind of holding his hand and bringing him along gone now. Um, this is not as... as it's not what it was. It's certainly not what it was, even just under Brian Harson. You know, Brian Harson was not Chris Peterson, but he was consistently winning the conference, competing at the top of the conference. Boise State doesn't necessarily strike the same fear that it used to there. Um, and, you know, it's it's almost like Toledo. It's almost like the Toledo of the Mountain West where, like, yeah, these guys should be good. They should be really good. But yeah. I don't know that they're going to be. I don't know that I trust them. I don't know that I trust Avalos and this coaching staff because, honestly, they've not really given me a reason to. Um, and like you said, this schedule, man, is is – I mean, it's not friendly. It's not friendly with a, a still pretty young quarterback and the defense that's going to be breaking in some new faces. They start the season at Washington, host UCF, host North Dakota, at San Diego State, and then at Memphis is their September. That's a that's a hard September. That's a really long first month of the season. Without knowing what their money situation is, it sounds like to me that boosters, if they haven't already by mid-September, are mm-hmm. going to look and see that Brian Harson is just chilling out there and is like radioactive toxic in terms of like ever getting another power five job again with what happened at Auburn. And they're just going to be like, why don't we just run this back? And I think you will see Brian Harson back at Boise state by the, by this time next year, he will be their coach. (laughs) That would, that would not be surprising to me. Honestly, they jump into October. It's San Jose state at home at Colorado state, Wyoming at home. That's a much easier month. That's a rebound month, but then they close out the year at Fresno state, New Mexico at home at Utah state and air force at home. Like this is, this is a tough schedule. This is a really tough schedule. Even if they're good in the conference, you could still be looking at three or four losses because of that, that non-conference slate It would be funny if Bush Hamden, the new offensive coordinator gets fired after September and they just bring in Brian Harson as the interim offensive coordinator. They just keep doing it. Just shadow head coaches every year, bringing back former, <laughs> remember guys wow chris peterson's back this year that's awesome <laughs> like i i do think it'd be so implausible but there is a possibility that like if they just started so shitty that you'd have a scenario where it's just like yeah we uh we fired andy avalos and brian harson is the coach right now yeah season he is coming in he's back shit who was somebody actually did that didn't they was it uh was it jerry kill who did that where they brought him in and and he was like the new he was the interim but also he was the new head coach i can't remember who it was it was a couple it years sounds ago familiar. it's happened but yeah. it, it, i think whenever it's happened it's happened like super late i know a team did it a few years ago um, it might have been clay Bo- illinois illinois did it with uh um who fucking who took over after zook uh... i'm pretty sure whoever took over after zook like coached the bowl game or so there's something like that where somebody coached the bowl game, but like let the assistants kind of do all the work, but they were like actively coaching the bowl game, even yeah. though they weren't like officially, I mean, they were hired, but 
it was just one of those scenarios. Like yeah. it, it's happened before. I know a couple of years ago, Georgia Southern hired Clay Helton like before the season was over, and he wasn't coaching, but he was recruiting or something. It was it was something because he had been fired by USC earlier that season. That's awesome. That's such a cool thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> We love the, uh, you know, college football, this huge, you know, mechanism that takes all of this work to just make it move even a little bit. And then uh, also you can fire your coach in the middle of the season and hire a new one and plug him in and he starts coaching before the year is <laughs> over. It's uh, kind of hard to square those two things. Um, moving up next here is, uh, I would say, a, a pretty significantly different setup, a pretty different program and where they are. Colorado State. Uh, entering year two under Jay Norvell, year one was uh, bad. Ugh. Year one was not very good at all. They Ugh. they had a couple pieces that I like. I've mentioned Tory Horton a couple times. Uh, really, honestly, cannot believe that he's back after the season he had last year out wide, thousand yard receiver. Pretty much the only thing that they had going on offense. He returns. Um, the defense was actually a little bit better than expected. They found some some really good stuff in that secondary with Jack Howell, who I like a lot at safety. Um, but they weren't good. They went three and nine. They won three conference games, uh, all of which they scored 17 points in, which I guess is a oh, testament to the Jesus. defense. But this uh, this plug and play Jay Norvell offense was not not bad. It was not plug and play. It was bad. It was really bad. They were maybe my biggest miss of last year. Like yeah. I, I really thought that they had a chance to be good. Maybe not like conference championship good, but I thought with everything he was bringing over from Nevada that they could really just plug and play and be like, okay, we'll win seven or eight games. And yeah. this will be like such a smooth transition into year one. And they weren't just bad. Like they were heinous last year. Yeah. Sacramento state beat them 41 to 10. <laughs> like they, Patrick, they haven't, they've scored less than 20 points in 13 straight games. Jesus, man. Yeah. And it was, it starts with clay Millen at quarterback who is not, uh, it was not a great freshman season for him. He had a couple games that were decent. He got a little bit better there at the end, but he was getting, I mean, there was a point earlier in the season where he was replaced, healthy scratch replaced by a walk-on. It was bad. It, it was, he was not ready for that job. Um, this offensive line was awful and is now completely turning over. They lose basically everybody from the offensive line. They have a whole bunch of JUCOs and transfers up there. Um, it's just, I mean, it seems like it's still going to take a minute. I think this defense could be honestly decent. The defense was pretty good down the stretch. They, they were not good against Boise state, but you look at the conference slate. I mean, it wasn't that bad. They gave up 14 to Nevada, 23 to Utah state, 13 to Hawaii, 28 to San Jose state, 14 to Wyoming, 24 to air force and zero to New Mexico. Like that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good for a year one yeah. under a coach, not known for his defenses, but I don't know that his offense is going to get any better this year, so they're just kind of stuck with it, and I, I think they're you know going to look pretty similar to what they did last year. And there's just there's no reason for CSU to be as shitty as they are, especially yeah. with the stadium. And maybe that's just like a talking point that's been hammered into the ground now because that stadium's like five years old. But like yeah. that for a G5 setup, that place is palatial. It's beautiful, and CSU hasn't won more than four games once in their last four seasons like there, yeah. there's just no reason for colorado state to be as bad as they are and maybe like maybe we're not giving enough credit to the damage that steve adazio did and like the end of the mike bobo era and the hole that has to be dug out there mm -hmm. but i i don't know the the defense like you're saying that gives me hope that they can kind of climb out of it a little bit but we just saw less than nothing from the offense that it's almost like 
a year zero situation for that side of the ball to see what they can do. Yeah. Anecdotally, I, I do wonder if the, the issue is not so much like, yes, they have a new stadium, but I was there at, for a game covering a game last season. It was a one score game in the fourth quarter and there was maybe 2000 people in the stands, Ugh. right? Like there's nobody there. There's just, they had left. It was, it was maybe a quarter or a half, half full, uh round half full at, at kickoff by the end of the game, which was close Throughout, it was never a blowout. It never looked like the game was over. Um, th- a huge chunk of the stadium was just empty. Nobody, nobody was there. They had all already left for the bars. Um, it's very much a bar town, and I, I don't, I just don't know if they're going to get anybody there. And so it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, you have somebody on an official visit. Maybe you're, you're just uh, trying to get them out of the stadium before the game is over, so that they don't see that there's nobody left in the stands. Um, this schedule is not really going to do them any favors either. I, I think that this could be a situation where they are still looking for a second win heading into the last couple weeks of the season because it's Washington State at home, at Colorado, at Middle Tennessee State. I don't think they're winning any of those games. Um, They should be able to beat Utah Tech at home, you'd think. It didn't work last year against Sacramento State, but maybe they can do that. Um, And then it's the, the conference slate, which is at Utah State, Boise State at home, at UNLV, Air Force at home, at Wyoming, San Diego State at home, Nevada at home, and then at Hawaii. I don't think they're winning any games outside of that Utah Tech game until the last two weeks of the season. That's brutal. It's really, really hard to keep a roster together when you're dealing with that. No, I, I think that what winning winning four games, winning winning five games would be like unbelievable. Yeah. But somehow getting to four, I think, would be progress even after winning three last year. Yeah, I, I think if you manage to beat like Middle Tennessee State on the road, maybe you get Utah State, maybe you get UNLV. Like that that's the thing is that all the winnable games on this schedule until the last two weeks are on the road. You know, you if you could beat Utah State, you could beat UNLV but you have to make both of those trips. It's not the, the the home games are not really winnable. They're not beating Boise State. I don't think they're beating Air Force, San Diego State either. Like I, that's that's just a brutal draw. It's a really really tough uh, run of it that that Norvell has inherited here. And I do wonder, you know, they're obviously not going to fire him after two years. But I do wonder just how long the runway is for him before you have to show something just any kind of proof of concept that's not you know just inheriting pretty good defenders from from steve adazio it's it's uh it's not good out there right now it's time to bring the king jim McElwain back home yeah. to, to fort fun baby he he might agree with that i think jim McElwain might be <laughs> <laughs> amicable to that sort of thing right now given what's going on at central michigan um next up fresno state last year's conference champion 10 and 4 um, they were fantastic down the stretch. I think they finished the season on a nine-game winning streak after starting one and four when Jake Hayner got hurt against USC. Um, took some really bizarre losses without Jake Hayner that uh, I would say uh, are concerning heading in now to a season without Jake Hayner. Mikey Keene is here. I think Mikey Keene is decent, UCF transfer, but Jake Hayner is not here. Um, and, uh, none of his skill players are here either. None of the guys who were really good in this, uh, in this skill core are, are back. They're all gone. Um, they lose Mims at, at, at halfback. They lose basically all of their receivers. I like Eric Brooks a decent amount, but man, there's not a whole lot of production returning to this offense and, and the, the defense 
loses some of its stars, specifically Evan McWilliams, who was you know the long tenured safety for them. Um, there's a lot to replace. There's a lot to replace for Jeff Tedford, and I don't know that they have the the talent necessarily to fill all of those spots. They're probably still a bowl team, but I'm 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 worried about the the ceiling for these guys. Yeah, and just based off of what like they did before Tedford left the first time, and then last year, your inclination is to be like, all right, they lost all those guys, but look at kind of what he's. It's hard to argue against uh, him having success there right now, but you do look at everybody they lost, and also the fact that he has left once before, and it's like, man, if when they fall, it's not going to be like I, I don't think that there's a scenario where they go six and six. Like I think if they take a step back, it's going to be like fall off a cliff, go three and nine. And then Tedford's just like, all right, I'm not building this up again. I am out of here. But then you also look at the schedule and they have Nevada at home at Wyoming, at Utah state, UNLV at home, Boise at home at San Jose state, New Mexico at San Diego state. And it's like, those are all very winnable games. Yeah. And we just, but we just don't know enough about the dudes they have to, that are replacing all the guys that just left. So like they're, they're one of the more, I don't know if intriguing is the right word because I don't know if I'm excited to watch Fresno State this year, but it's just like they're they're such a wild card because they're replacing so much in like Tedford deserves the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, I think it's very wire thin kind of the tightrope that he's walking on right now between them having success and it just kind of all falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. I think the defense is probably going to be pretty good. I like this defense a, a, a good amount. I like Devo bridges up front. I think Lavelle Bailey is one of the better linebackers in the conference. Um, Cam Lockridge is awesome at cornerback. They're going to need some help in the secondary because they do have some starters to replace. I think the defense is going to keep them afloat though. Um, and they do have a decent runway, right? That the offense is going to have yeah. a little bit of time to get going because they're going to go to Purdue and that's, I mean, probably a loss, I would think. I don't think Purdue's going to be what it has been, but that's still a road trip to a Big Ten team. That's a, that's a tough thing to do. Um, but then it's Eastern Washington at, at home. It's a road trip to a very, very bad Arizona State team. It's Kent State at home and then Nevada at home before October starts with at Wyoming. So you get you get a month yeah. to try and get this all into place offensively to build around presumably Mikey Keene. I don't think Logan Fife is going to win that job because um, he uh, stinks, is not very good at quarterback. <laughs> but it's still, like, I don't know that it's going to be – I don't know that the offense is going to be good enough to be winning those those really, really tricky games like at Wyoming or at San Diego State where you have to – you're not going to be able to out-defense them, basically. You're going to have to score some points. You're going to have to move the ball around. I don't know that they're going to be able to do that. I do think that this is still a, a competent team, though. I think maybe the fall-off comes like next year when all of these seniors on that defense are no longer here. There's a lot of seniors starting on this defense, like – Probably too many, honestly. I think that you uh, you maybe want to hedge against this a little bit more than they are. Patrick, you're a guy who is – you've moved across the country. Mm-hmm. You, you know a little bit about kind of driving across the country and, and what that entails and kind of the, the slog that that can be. Uh, do you have a ballpark estimate on how long it would take? And you've moved from Columbus. Yeah. From Columbus to Chestnut Hill in Massachusetts mm-hmm. and then from Chestnut Hill in Massachusetts – all the way to Fresno, California. How long would that drive take you? Oh, God. Um, man, I, I have no reference for Chestnut Hill because I've never driven that far east. Maybe like nine hours from Columbus to Chestnut Hill. Um, and then Chestnut Hill to Fresno, I mean, that, that might take you three full days. That that might be <laughs> – that might be – that's a long time on the road because I know it's it's like – 
uh, it's probably like 35, 36 hours to get across the country like that. According to Google Maps, the drive from Columbus to Chestnut Hill, I did this a few days ago, was mm-hmm. like something like 11, and then Chestnut Hill to Fresno was something like 46. So it's a 57-hour drive, and the listeners are probably thinking, like, what the fuck is he talking about? Yeah. I am talking about Jalen Gill, who is still <laughs> playing college football and is now at Fresno State, once at Ohio State, then at Boston College, now at Fresno State. Uh, what are the odds that Jalen Gill just, like, pops up and has a 1,200-yard season? Uh, it's not impossible. They have my the the thing that would cause me some pause with that is one he hasn't done a ton as a college football player, but two, um, they've got six of him. I don't know why they did this. They went out and they just signed a whole bunch of Jalen Gills. Like that's that's their entire transfer class at wide receiver. Is they went and they got former P five guys. They got one from TCU as well. Um, just these former P five guys and then a couple JUCOs and they're all like. Really speedy, productive five nine slot receivers. Why do you need all these guys? Just what we talked about in the intro with West Virginia. They're they're on the Bill Stewart, <laughs> Rich Rodriguez uh, tip right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess if if you're gonna do it, this offense is is somewhat, you know, it, it can work with those guys. You don't necessarily need huge wide receivers. They don't throw the ball down the field a ton, but um, there's a lot of those guys. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a dense room of of wide receiver transfers who all look and play pretty similarly. I'm. I'm not entirely sure why they did that. Um, should be an interesting team to watch, though. I'm, I'm curious to see how that offense comes out. A uh, team that probably won't be all that interesting to watch is Hawaii, which is coming off of a 3-10 and start to the Timmy Chang era. Um, they very much were a 3-10 and team. There was not a whole lot going on here. Braden Shager had a couple moments at quarterback. He had some times where he looked decent. Um, they will need more from him this year because he is pretty much the only guy back on an offense that was already not very good. They lose their top receivers. They lose their top halfback. They do have Tylen Hines back, who I like a lot, um, if he can handle that kind of workload, which is a question still because he's... I think like 5'7", 165 pounds. I don't know that that's a primary running back necessarily. Um, but they're going to need to find new production out wide. They're going to need to find new production up front. Offense is basically starting over in year two, which is not usually what you want. I, I, I'm, I don't really know actually how they have managed that. They, they lost a lot of guys from an offense that didn't have all that many guys to lose. Yeah, the only thing I have written down about Hawaii is that last year kind of felt like a year negative two, yeah. and this year is like a year negative one. Yeah. They're going to give Timmy Chang so much time to work with, and they have so much cleaning up to do from really like the last decade of what's been going on there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just going to be a slow burn. And you look at the schedule, and it's like it's not too bad outside of having to play at Oregon. I mean, they got smoked by Vanderbilt last year, and they got to play them on the road. Yeah. But they come here and play Stanford the second week. I'm not putting it past Stanford to lose that game. Yeah. And maybe that's like a one one little shot of juice for them. Um, but, you know, they're, they're probably going to win two or three games, and it's just going to be continuing to build towards 2024, 2025, and to where it's like, an actual healthy program that can possibly get to a bowl again. Yeah, yeah. And I, unless my schedule is just wrong here, I believe that the Stanford game is both at home and on Friday Oh, night. yeah, that one's at home. Yeah, I, I think Hawaii is hosting Stanford on a Friday night uh, on August 1st, that or September 1st. That's crazy. That's a crazy, Let's go. <laughs> that's a crazy thing to do. They're going to make some money this September because they go to Vanderbilt, Stanford at home, they host Albany, and then they go to Oregon, and they have New Mexico State at home to close that out because they, of course, get the, the five-game non-conference schedule. 
Um, yeah, I, I, it's it's going to be another bad year. I think the defense might take a little bit of a step forward, but this offense is is uh, rough. It's it's rough. We might have to watch. We might have to do a live watch along on that Stanford game. For yeah, the, for the freaks to really start barking because <laughs> Hawaii is usually like on whatever it's called, like Spectrum Sports. Yeah. This time it says it's uh, on CBS Sports Network, so yeah. we may have to get the West Coast freaks out uh, and do a watch along for that one. Dude, I'm I'm very glad that uh, Utah State does not have to go to Hawaii for a couple years now because oh last year trying to find that game was a real, just a real nightmare because they have a they've got one of the smart TV apps, right? Like they have one of the Roku apps for the, the spectrum sports that they're on, but you can't watch live broadcasts on it. That's like part of the rule is that you can't, it's not allowed to be on TV. You have to do the pay-per-view if you want to watch it on TV. So I had to pull it up on my computer and then stream my computer to my TV. (laughs) It was a real, and I still had to pay the $20. It's not like you get it for free. It's just that you, it's a different way to watch it. Um, it was bad. It was really, really bad for a Mark bad, Cuban for a bad tweeting out, game. "Hey, uh, what's everybody watching this Hawaii Utah State game? <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys Just watching this? Somebody send me a link. Curious to know. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. They they really they have not uh, they've not done super well with that TV contract. I think that the, unfortunately the the Hawaii After Dark stuff seems to be." largely dead because nobody knows how to watch these fucking guys play and also why would you want to they're not very good right now um staying with teams that are not very good and and there's some connective tissue here because timmy chang came to hawaii from nevada um nevada two and ten last year really really fell off a cliff one of the worst teams in college football um honestly a miracle that they managed to win two games they did it at the very beginning of the season they beat new mexico state on the road and then texas state at home both in honestly pretty dominant fashion and then they did not win again um that was it they've got uh really not a whole lot going on here brandon lewis is or brendan lewis is in quarterback from colorado you would know more about him than i do Mm -hmm. but from what i saw um there's not a ton of reasons to be optimistic there it seems like his thing is basically that he can complete screen passes and not not a whole lot else um he's not going to have a whole lot of talent around him sean dollars is here from oregon he also stinks but he you know his name i think people know who sean dollars is he just doesn't do a whole lot and the uh the defense which is head coach ken wilson's specialty which was really bad last year does have at least a couple guys back in the in the front i think the front should be decent but they lose dom peterson at tackle um, they're going to be bad again. I mean, they're, they're going to be really bad again. They go to USC to start the season, host Idaho, host Kansas for some reason, and then go to Texas State uh, for the non-conference. I mean, I think there's maybe one or two wins on this schedule again. It's just, it's kind of a dead program right now. There may be only like one or two coaches in the country that I'm more just already fucking out on yeah. than Wilson. Like, I'm, I'm done. Uh, yeah. they, there was a, we already talked about CSU, but uh, Nevada and CSU last year was probably the worst game I watched all season. Like that, just an awful, yeah. awful football game. Uh, I already missed Toa Tower. Like he was the one redeeming thing about this whole program. Um, and I didn't realize until reading your article on meetatmidfield.com, uh, previewing the Mountain West, that Brendan Lewis did end up at Nevada. Yep. And uh, yeah, he's one of those players that like. This all, this happens a lot in college football, and it happens in other sports too, where like I don't think we'll ever know what he could have been because the situation that he was in under Carl Durrell was just like did not allow for any sort of growth or yeah. put him in any spot to succeed. So like whenever he came out and played bad, it was like, well, I mean, of course he did. Every everything else was bad. Like what what was he gonna do as a yeah. freshman or a sophomore? So I, I struggle even saying he was bad because of that, but 
Like, I, I don't think he's just going to show up at Nevada and it's like, whoa, yeah, all that potential finally came out. He's really good. Like, I think this is just another bad situation and yeah. he has the opportunity to go out and play. And like you said, uh, there's there's no more than two or three wins on this schedule. Yeah, well, and how how is Colorado ever going to recover from losing all of these high-value transfers, like the guy who went to play quarterback at Nevada? Yeah, it's it's really... <laughs> Really going to be tough for them to, you know, the program's falling apart. How are they going to fill in for all these these low mountain west caliber players? It's hard to know. Hard to figure out. You know how they'll, Patrick, how they'll piece no, that together. They haven't <laughs> thrown for three hundred yards in a game since November twenty nineteen. How are mm-hmm. they going to replace these guys? Yeah, there's just no. I mean, you you can't you cannot afford to lose all this offensive line talent. How could you ever replace these JUCO level players? It's gonna be it's gonna be really hard to do. And yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's going to be another rough year at Nevada. I think, honestly, it's going to be a pretty rough tenure at Nevada until they maybe open up the pocketbook and, and look at, look elsewhere because this guy, I just don't think he's got anything going on. I don't think Ken Wilson has anything going on. Um, and, uh, boy, kind of a rough stretch here in the in the, the Mountain West alphabet. We're gonna close, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. who's worse, them or this next team? Yeah, we're, we're going to close about. out this run of awful teams with, I think, honestly, the worst of the bunch. It's New Mexico. 2-10 yeah. uh, and ten last year another one that only won their games in September and then didn't do anything else for the rest of the year, finished on a nine-game losing streak. Um, Danny Gonzalez is here. He's still here. Year four, really not had anything going on for him so far, and it doesn't look like it's going to be any different this year. Um, They lose Rocky Long, and, of course, they also lose all of their players. There's There's nothing really coming back. The offense has been awful and I think remains awful. They went out and got Bryant Vincent to run it. I don't know why they did that. I don't know what they think they have that that would make it possible to run a a power running game here. They don't have any linemen or running backs. Um, And the defense, which was really kind of the calling card of the last couple years, is starting over pretty much. They lose lose, uh, star Cody Moon to in-conference transfer, which is never good. You don't ever want to see that. Um, And they're pretty much just looking for any contributors. I, I don't know what even is the, the pitch here. I think you're pretty much just running out the clock until you can fire this guy and move on to a different tenure. Dog, if you make Rocky Long give up on New Mexico, like, you know that it's, you know yeah. that it's over when Rocky Long's like, Dude, they... I, I think I'm out. Rocky Long has two biomes. One is on the beach at San Diego State, and the other one is in the desert yeah. in New Mexico, and he is in central New York right now. Yeah, dude. That is how bad this program is, that it pushed Rocky Long far, like, <laughs> further east of new mexico than he's probably ever been in his life like i don't know where he grew up but he was just like you know what fuck it i'll just go to syracuse and it's not like there's stability there either yeah this i i I wrote this in the new mexico preview this is basically the only thing i wrote in the part in the new mexico part of the preview rocky long has never coached or seemingly lived (laughs) east of texas before like that's the furthest east he's ever gone he went to fucking syracuse he went to to lame duck dino babers era syracuse so that he could just get away from these guys i mean he's 73 years old They made a 73-year-old man move from New Mexico to New York for the first time in his entire life. <laughs> Why? Rocky, just retire, man. You don't have to do this. Oh my god. He he just loves that 335 yeah. so much. Can't get and there's like on New Mexico, like you said, there's a very strong possibility that they're the worst team in the country this year. Yeah. And like just just digging through kind of their 
previous years and and some of the the, the not so fun facts is that uh, Gonzalez is seven and twenty four through three seasons, including three and twenty in conference play, and they have only scored more than twenty five points against an FBS team twice in the last two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, one of them came in one of their wins last season, the, the 27 to 10 over UTEP. Um, it's, uh, you look at just this, this closing stretch run of the season in 2022. And it is, uh, it's, it's pretty bleak. I would say in November, they lost to Utah state 27 to 10 air force, 35 to three San Diego state 34 to 10. And then it got fucking blanked by Colorado state 17. nothing. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Forty-one to nine against Fresno State. Twenty-one to nine at New Mexico State. There's just, there's just nothing going on here. Um. And I don't think it's going to get any easier this year. I think they they've given themselves at least a couple winnable games. They have Tennessee Tech at home, New Mexico State at home, at UMass, um, and Hawaii at home. I think are all somewhat winnable. They also go to Nevada. That that's a game that they could maybe try to pull out, but. Um, there's there's nothing worth watching here. I don't think there's really anything worth even paying attention to at New Mexico. We're just waiting to see basically who the next head coach is because I don't think it's going to be Danny Gonzalez for a whole lot longer. No, I, at least I, think at least I would hope is, not. <laughs> he, he's out. It, like, and this is just a separate other conversation, and I've almost gotten tired of it because it just pops up during the off season. Uh, and it's like New Mexico is the team that's like a prime candidate of like why relegation would probably be yeah. good like yeah. they just do not have anything going for them right now yeah maybe for their own sake yeah <laughs> just <laughs> you guys need to go do some do some some thinking some deep thinking some meditation in the forest and come back after put you that. at the fcs level for a little bit yeah yeah you go learn with idaho you think about what you did <laughs> and maybe you can come back go to the kibbe dome yeah yeah um next up here finally getting back into some teams that are actually worth talking about san diego state coming off of a uh, a pretty disappointing seven in six season honestly the offense just never really clicked into place uh the further we get into the brady hoke tenure the more it seems like he just uh doesn't not going to have an offense just not going to not going to have even like what rocky long had which was just a 2000 yard rusher every season san diego state's not been anywhere close to that they couldn't run the ball at all last year and that was really sort of the thing that held them back the defense stays awesome and i think it's probably going to remain awesome even as they turn over the entire front seven um, but it's it's pretty much just Jalen Maiden and then a whole lot of not much on this offense, and I fear that that's going to be the thing that holds them back again this year and honestly for the rest of his tenure. San Diego State's big problem is that they have too many receivers or tight ends wearing numbers like yeah. 94, like yeah. 92. They've yeah. got a lot of weird shit going on there, and in a way, like with college football brain, there is a part of me that really appreciates that it's almost 2024 and there's still – coaches out there like brady hoke who are just absolute sticks in the mud and are just like no i'm good i don't need to play offense we can just play defense and win yeah and it reminds me of like i got this youtube wreck once of this british this british dude who he works a regular job but then when he gets off and gets home like everything in his house is from the 1940s and it's just because like he wants to live that way so he has like all the sure alliances yeah. and shit and he just lives like he's in the 1940s and i feel like that's brady hoke right now like the football <laughs> field is his refuge to just be like i will live like it's 1968 yeah forever yeah yeah they really have not even they've not even really gestured towards trying to fix this offense right like i, I like jalen maiden i do at quarterback i think he's a good player he's good you know good, really good athlete in a in a better offense i think he would be pretty valuable but 
they've they've not been able to run the ball at all. The offensive line has taken a lot of steps back. I like Jalen Armstead, but also he had like 50 carries last year, and so it's hard to be that confident in him, and they've not gotten any receivers. Uh, the receivers that they have are all, like you said, wearing number 94 or 45, <laughs> shit like that. It's just, it's, uh, they they are very much stuck in the past, I think, and in some places that can work, but here there's you're starting to see some diminishing returns, and now they're going to have to do it with, like I said, pretty much an all-new defense. Cody Moon is here from New Mexico. I think he's good. He's a good linebacker. Um, they've got some guys in this two deep who have played largely as reserves, but they're really sort of starting over on defense for a team that depends pretty heavily on its defense to win games. I, I don't see any reason to think that they're not just like seven and five again this year. I, I don't really, I don't really know that they're capable of contending at the top of the conference until their offense can do something, just has anything to hang its hat on. And it, it doesn't look like it's going to right now. They completed two passes against Boise state last year. <sighs> there were two of 16 passing for 33 yards and an interception. And like, I know that they, they won 12 games in 2021, but kind of like I talked about with CSU. And I think you can make a stronger case for San Diego state, especially now that they have a new stadium. Like there's no reason this program shouldn't be winning eight games a year, just based off of where they are, just kind of where the program is at the recent history of success. And like you said, like they they've had guys run for like 2,500 yards in a season. Like they had a string of seven straight years where it's just like, we will plug a five, nine guy in and he's going to get 400 carries a year and gain 2,600 yards. Yeah. Yeah, they they just don't do that anymore. There's no there's no Donnell Pumphrey here. You know, there's there's not a uh, what Rashad Penny was another one of those guys. Like they're just not plugging those guys in anymore. They're having <laughs> these last couple of years. I've really, honestly, just completely hated what they have done with the running attack, where they have like five running backs who all stink and who all get a hundred <laughs> carries exactly. It's like this is this is not you. This is not <laughs> this is not how you do this. And I, I fear they're going to be doing pretty much the same thing again this year. Um, the schedule is, is extremely strange. I'm going to go through it quickly. This is one of the, the most unbalanced schedules in college football because you start off the season with Ohio and Idaho State at home. Um, then you host UCLA, which is another, another, we love the P5 going to a G5 uh, game. So they host UCLA, go to Oregon State, host Boise State, and then they're at Air Force. That's the first six games of the season. They could legitimately lose five of those games. I don't think they're yeah. going to, but they could. They could totally lose five of those games games then down the stretch it's at hawaii nevada at home utah state at home at colorado state at san jose state fresno state at home they could win all six of those games so you, you could see a season here where they start one and five and finish seven and five right like that is uh, very much setting setting up for that sort of thing um which i i mean i guess they'd be fine with that it seems like they're happy going seven and five i just feels like they should be doing more basically yeah, this could be a reverse 2018 Colorado where they yeah. started 5 and 0 and finished 5 and 7, where they start 0 and 5 and finish like 7 and 7 and 5. This this sport puts us through so much. It it asks so much of us and gives us so little. It's rough. It's really rough. Um next up here, San Jose State. 
uh, coming off of a, honestly a pretty good year, especially relative to the program's history. Seven and five, uh, another bowl berth for Brent Brennan. San Jose State returns a, a decent chunk of their team. They have Chevin Cordiero back on offense. They have Justin Lockhart back at wide receiver. Um, Kyrie Robinson, I believe, returns at halfback. He's he's a good player. And then the defense uh, has a whole bunch of plays up front, but then is mostly intact in a secondary that has long been good. There are stars to to replace Elijah Cooks, obviously, is the big name. Um, and then uh, one of our favorite guys, Viliami Fahoko, on, on the defensive line. Uh, but I, this looks like a good team again. This looks like a solid team once more. Yeah, and like this gets overused, but I feel like Brent Brennan has set the foundation there where it's almost like an eternal floor, I think, of five or six wins right now going forward with with what they have. Because you can count on with, and you could say this about some other teams in the Mountain West like we have, you can count on the defense probably being pretty good. And it's just a matter of what are they going to get offensively. And so like if Cordero hits and goes off, then this is a team you could see kind of maybe not revert back to what they were in the 2020 season where they went, I think seven and one, but like a team that if there's one kind of not even surprise isn't the right word, but a team that's just going to pop out and be like, Oh shit, they're a mountain West. They're for real this year. They're, They're contending for the conference championship. I think it's probably San Jose State. Yeah, and and it's just uh, yeah, they're just solid. The floor here feels very solid as a basically as a bowl team, unless there are injuries to guys like Chevin Cordero. I, they need him to stay healthy for this offense to really function. But if he does, I think they should be totally fine. I don't think that they're going to be able to beat like Oregon State at home. I don't know that they're going to go to Toledo and win that game. I don't know that they're beating the best teams in this conference. Like I don't that that road trip to Boise State scares me. Um, but they should be, you know, they're not going to lose a whole lot of games that they shouldn't. They should be solid again, and I think they're probably a bowl team in a conference that, you know, uh, consistency is going to be rewarded, and I I think they probably benefit from that with, you know, probably another eight or or maybe even a nine-win season, which is uh, a testament to Brent Brennan, who I think is honestly one of the, the quietest, best coaches in college football. What he has done here is nuts. Nobody's done this. No, nobody, nobody has been able to make San Jose State into a consistent, multi-year spanning several, you know, uh, several quarterbacks and several really eras of player, uh, multi-year bowl team, which I, I think they're about to be here uh, as they as they move further into a, a different time in his tenure. He's just a good ball coach. Yeah, somebody who's been to multiple San Jose State games and a San Jose State spring game, like. There are jobs out there that are super tough and San Jose State's near the top of the list. Like that is a hard place to win. And it's, uh, I talked about going to the Air Force game on on Friday, September 22nd, uh, because it's at home here. They play that Oregon State game on a Sunday on September 3rd. So like (laughs) I'm super jacked to go to that game and see both of those teams up close because Oregon State is another one of those teams. Like it's hard to win there consistently and they're doing a great job as well. So you got, you know, I don't think they're going to win, but you have these two really uh, great kind of showcases of what good coaching and setting a foundation can do for a program. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I really like what San Jose State does. I think they should be, you know, worth watching, worth keeping an eye on again this year. Um, now moving into uh, in, into the Vegas area down with UNLV, which has oh uh, started turned over a new leaf, starting a new ten year. They have fired Marcus Arroyo for going five and seven, which is something that this program 
uh, basically never does. One of the worst programs in college football, historically speaking. Um, they have fired him for the sake of Barry Odom. Uh, the, cra- the crowd going wild. They all love Nobody's. We can't get enough of Barry Odom. He's a superstar. He's the perfect fit for Las Vegas, as we all know. Uh, very flashy coach. Barry Odom, we love him. We can't get enough of him. Um, he does inherit, honestly, a pretty good roster here, but it is just, you know, b- before you can really talk about any of that, you have to talk about the fact that Barry Odom is the head coach at UNLV, and that doesn't make any sense. Why'd they do that? What is the point of this? It feels inevitable that he's going to have a super successful year one with yeah. what's left of Arroyo's players and kind of what they built there. And then it's just going to dramatically drop off. But before it drops off, it'll be like, ha ha, look at, look and see what we did. Like everybody who doubted it, like, look at what we did in year one. And then it's just going to go completely in the shitter in 2024. Yeah. Like I, I was, I was reading your, your preview on it and I thought you made a great point. Like, yeah, they, they lost whatever six of their last seven games after starting four and one and two of those were blowouts to San Jose state and air force. But like they played Notre Dame in that stretch. They lost to San Diego state by four. They lost by a touchdown to Fresno state. The Hawaii loss isn't great, but that was a one possession game. Like it it feels weird that they wouldn't have just been like, you know what? We'll give another year of this. And if we weren't, if we're going to fire him, we're going to have a better plan than to get Barry Odom, who probably was like, his main selling point was like, yeah, I got Bobby Petrino on board. Yeah. And then you don't even have that. <laughs> yeah, then Bobby leaves after a weekend. Bobby showed up. He had a pay, He had an all-expenses-paid trip to Vegas by by way of UNLV, and then he left. <laughs> okay. What if Bobby Thanks, did guys. it for the right reasons? What if Bobby was legitimately like, he got to Vegas and was like, oh, I can't <laughs> handle this. Like, And it was just self-control. He was just like, you know what? I cannot handle this. I yeah. have to get out of here. Yeah. I have to go to College Station. Oh my god! Yeah, Bobby driving around campus. He's just like, I gotta call my sponsor. I can't. I can't do this. <laughs> this is not gonna work for me. I gotta. I gotta call my sponsor. Um, that's uh, that is actually really fun to think about. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, and then, like his, his therapist is just like, you know what, Bobby? Like on the surface, this is gonna look really bad to everybody, but you're making great progress yeah. right now. I'm yeah. really happy you did this. Yeah, Bobby, you gotta do what's best for you. You can't keep putting others others in front of your own success a thing you're really known for doing a thing Bobby Petrino loves to do I'm going to a place where the other coordinator is DJ Durkin yeah yeah he yeah he called up his sponsor his sponsor told him to do what's best for him and then he made the worst possible decision (laughs) (laughs) time to time to surround time to time to go back to the old me I need to surround myself with the most evil men in America um yeah so they uh they do not have Bobby Petrino as you mentioned but they do have Brendan Marion which really just continues to contribute to the idea of this being a one-and-done situation for UNLV. We want to have one really good year, and then everybody gets a new job from it. Everybody gets paid. Everybody gets out. Um, Brendan Marion is absolutely not sticking around for more than one season. He does not do that. That is not his thing. He's he's gone at the first possible opportunity, um, and I think the rest of this team is honestly in a pretty good, uh, you know, a pretty similar spot to do the same thing. Um, they bring back Ricky White out wide. They uh, they he's act- good. Yeah, he is I like good. Him. He's good. I like Doug Brumfield as well, who's going to be back at quarterback. Um, good player, big arm. He kind of throws like a Trey Boucher, which is a quarterback who I have I have talked about before as just a style of guy who I like. Um, really, really tall, no weight on him. Takes him forever to get the ball out of his arm, but he can throw it 80 yards. That's just a good kind of guy to be. Um, they have uh, some other 
pretty good players elsewhere. I like Courtney Reese at at, uh, at halfback. They added a whole bunch of P5 transfers really on both sides of the ball. Um, that was kind of the, I guess, the pitch for Barry Odom is that he can bring in a bunch of P5 guys. He did. Uh, they got Xavier Carter here from LSU is sort of one of the, the bigger names of the bunch. Secondary is mostly intact. Um, I think they're going to be pretty good. I, I think this is probably a bowl team. It is just like, and I, I don't really have any love lost for, for Marcus Arroyo. He's not like a coach I was super into when they hired him, but I do feel bad for him because this was what he was building towards and they're not going to let him do it. They're not going to let him, you know, yeah. have this, this season that honestly, I think he, you know, earned, I <laughs> think he recruited these guys. He built this roster for the most part. And then they snatched it away from him and handed him to handed it to Barry Odom, who, will benefit. I think this is a bold team. I think that they're going to be pretty solid. You know, there are there are seven or eight wins on this roster if Brumfield can hold up, but man, just a kind of a bummer. <laughs> kind of a bummer situation here where it feels like everybody is just everybody around and in this program is trying to keep it upright for this last year and then everybody can get out and get paid. It's uh it's not That's great. What- that's what stinks about it because it, it really is likable, like outside of the fact that they hired Barry Odom in like UNLV home games now are some of my favorite to watch or go back and watch because you just have this like mid tier ass program playing in this state of the art palace. Yeah. And like every one, like I think it's once or twice a year, at least early last season, they were, don't ask me how I remember this, but they were fucking playing Idaho state and they usually play on, uh, like the Raiders don't let them use the grass. So they reel in, you know, the synthetic turf, but they were yeah. playing on the grass. And I was just like, this is so badass, man. You yeah. just got this G you got this G five program playing at this palatial stadium, like in front of 5,000 people. Like this is, this is everything <laughs> that makes college football so wonderful. And then you add into the fact that like, you know, UNLV is never going to be like the quote unquote, oh, that's a sleeping giant if they can get it together. But you see what's happening in Las Vegas sports right now. And it's like, man, if they could ever just get any sort of stability and positive momentum, like, no, they're not going to be what they usually would turn into in like your NCAA 07 dynasty, where it's like UNLV has gone undefeated for the last four years. Yeah. But they could be a really good program. And I hope they win a bunch of games this year, but there is part of me that's just like, ugh, but it's with Barry Odom. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is like, I, I want to, I want to like this team. I like a lot of these players, but I just, it, it feels, uh, it feels bad. It feels like UNLV, the program is being sort of used by everyone around it right now, which is, uh, I don't know. It's tough to root for that. It's tough to root for an AD trying to get a new job, essentially. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't really care about the AD getting paid or Barry Odom getting paid or Brennan Marion getting paid. It's just, uh, it's a bummer, kind of a bummer to see that. Um, uh, moving now to a team that I have, uh, I would say, a, a pretty fair amount of familiarity with, Utah State, coming off of a uh, similar to San Diego State, which is the team they actually played in the 2021 Conference Championship. Uh, disappointing season. They were uh, banking on, you know, kind of not necessarily defending that title. That That's hard to do. Utah State does not usually compete for championships in this league. Uh, but of, on at least being pretty good, on being an 8 or 9 win team, and that was not the case, uh, Logan Bonner goes down pretty early in the season. The offense was not good before that either. And, and, uh, 
wasn't really all that good after that. Cooper Lagasse stepped in, and, and his his running was good enough that they could still kind of bounce back to a bowl game. Defense stayed pretty good, um, even if the stats didn't say so. But uh, they're, they're, they're sort of starting over again here now in year three under Blake Anderson. There are a couple pieces back. Cooper Lagasse back. Um, Terrell Vaughn is back at wide receiver. He's awesome. He's really, really, he's a, he's a very good player. Um, they had Micah Davis as well, who was at Air Force before. He looked really good in spring ball. I'm excited to see, see him play. Uh, Robert Briggs at halfback is pretty solid, but they lose Calvin Tyler. They lose a big chunk of the offensive line, most of the best players from that line. Uh, Brian Cobbs is gone, and then the whole defense is gone. The entire defense. But there's there's um, there's I think three starters back from last year: Hale Motuapuaka, who's a, a good but not great tackle; uh, MJ Tafisi, who is a, a solid linebacker; and then uh, Michael Anyanwu at cornerback, who's fine. Um, Ike Larson's also back at safety. He's awesome. But they lost their entire defensive line pretty much after the end of the season, there were some some issues within that position room that I think just were not tenable moving forward. Um, and then they lost Efren Bonda, who was the defensive coordinator. They have replaced him with uh, noted and, and kind of famous hard-ass Joe Cathan from uh, originally from Arkansas State with Anderson, most recently at the FCS level. Uh, it's going to be kind of a transition year for Utah State. I think that the the presence of Laga and what should be a pretty decent offense now under Anderson's uh, hands again he was not calling the plays last year he is this year um, offense should be decent enough and I think the defense has some pieces that they should be okay maybe a bowl team but not ceiling's probably not a whole lot higher than that this year Patrick I have two lasting memories of Utah State from yeah. last season yeah. the first is the crowd booing the ever-loving shit out of Logan Bonner. And this was pre him getting hurt, which is also kind of plays into that. And the second one, I swear I will never forget this for as long as I live, or at least I hope I never do, Mm -hmm. because it was so awesome. They're playing Weber State at home, and uh, Weber State just scored a touchdown to go up 19-7. to And they decide that they're going to go for two, but they do that by faking the extra point. And what they do is they direct snap it to the holder, who is the punter, by the way, Mm -hmm. and he runs right up the middle. He scores untouched, and this motherfucker gets to the back of the end zone, and he spins the ball on the ground like he's a member of the 1999 St. Louis Rams, and then throws his arms out to the side, and he's like, what? What? And it's called for an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty yeah. for uh, for celebrating. It's one of the funniest things that I've ever seen on a football field, and yeah. I'll RT this when the episode drops so the listeners can see it. Yeah. They lost to Weber State 35-7 to in that game. Yeah. But I was like going through watching that game, and I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Yeah, that, uh, that punter spun the football uh, about – five or ten feet away from where i was taking pictures it was awesome it was very that was one of my favorite moments of last season just just absolutely wonderful yeah that was um that was the that stuff all happened in the same game it was the weber state game when when fans were uh kind of letting utah state hear about it in a a, amid like you said a 35-7 loss to an in-state fcs school they don't usually like that sort of thing um i was actually the person who asked blake anderson after the game about what he thought about the the booing and it, it sort of kicked off a whole shit storm out here um <laughs> but uh yeah that was uh, that was a, a pretty dark day honestly for, for utah state football <laughs> they're hoping to avoid something similar to uh, to that this year as they host uh Post Idaho State, it was a yeah, it was, it was a tumultuous season. I would say that they managed to pull together after a one and four start is honestly 
pretty impressive. I don't know how they did that. It looked like they were kind of dead in the water. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I think they're probably competent this year. I don't know that they're going to be, uh, the, the talent is not such that they could be a whole lot more than that. Yeah. It's really going to be a battle to get to six. Uh, I, I think it's, it's five or six honestly is, is the range for, for wins. I would, I would have a hard time seeing them exceed that. I would have a hard time seeing them go under that. Um, they should be better next year, but I think this year is kind of a transition. Um, well, and you know, way better than me just by covering them, like, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. It just seems like after last year and how tumultuous it was, like just winning six games and having a season where you just don't have to deal with all the bullshit. Yeah. That's going to be a major step forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think basically what they want this year is a team that likes each other and that the fans <laughs> like, it's just not like, it was very, very like the this is not a great way to judge a team, but I was, you know, down on the field and covering the team every day. I could I could sort of just feel this. The vibes were just bad. The vibes were just bad for last year's team. It was, you know, there was there was sort of infighting and, and you know, power struggles and players leaving the team midseason and it not really being talked about outside of just, yeah, he's no longer with us. Um, you know, transfers immediately after the bowl game. Guys on the sidelines at the bowl game, you know, older players having to yell at younger players to stop talking to people in the stands. Like, the game's still going on. Why are you talking to your family in the stands? Get back over on the sideline. What are you doing? Um, there was a lot of that. Just a lot of, you know, disjointed. Didn't feel like everybody was all pointed in one direction. Um, I think that this year with a younger team, just looking like a team, looking looking cohesive and coherent and like they have a plan is uh, really the goal more than anything else as they sort of look forward now to to building the next uh, the next kind of era of Blake Anderson where it feels like the first one has really gone and, and ended with uh, with Bonner's injury, honestly. So interested to see hoping that this team is a little bit less of a slog because last year's yeah. last year's season, even when they were winning, I mean it wasn't like fun. It wasn't fun to watch them beat Colorado State twenty three to thirteen. That was not a great game. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't really enjoying the football being played there or twenty seven ten over New Mexico. It wasn't, you know, uh, electric football, but uh, we'll we'll see if they can bounce back this year. Rounding out the conference now is a team that uh, I think you pretty much know what you're going to get every season with these guys, and I don't think it's going to be any different this year. It's Wyoming. Uh, coming off a 7-6 and six season in which, stop me if this sounds familiar, defense was really good, offense was uh, awful. Couldn't work, inoperable, did not, did not even get close to functioning, um, but the defense carried them as did their really pretty impressive home field advantage. I, I did not realize just how strong it was until I was actually there. Yeah. It's fucking cold at Wyoming, and those fans are loud, and it, windy. Is, it is hard to play there. Yeah, it's windy. It's always snowing, like constantly snowing. It's dark. Like everywhere outside of the field is just dark. Um, crazy place to play a football game. Really, really cool environment. Um, they uh, coming back into this season. They have some guys returning on offense, but they all stink. The defense is pretty much intact. Last year was a youth movement year, and the defense was still awesome. Defense is going to be even better this year. Probably the best in the conference. It's just that they don't have an offense, and they're not going to have an offense. I think they're probably headed for pretty similar season because they don't want to change. This is what they are and this is what they're going to be. Every game will be a rock fight. They'll win six or seven of them. Yep. They're, they're G five Iowa. Yep. It's really, really all it is. And they, they do have one of the, uh, one of our favorite G five P five home games of the year when they kick off with 
Texas Tech for some reason. Yes. At home. And like based off of everything you said, like that's if you're going to be one of those teams that goes to Wyoming, doing it week one in September is the absolute best time to yeah. do it. You don't want to be like, uh, who who do they have here? Like Hawaii, they play Hawaii uh, on November 18th. Like <laughs> I, I'm so sad for uh, Timmy Chang and all those Hawaii boys. Like that's going to be a tough one. Timmy Chang does not have the apparel in his closet to handle that. That is just, oh, that is, that is really no, brutal. Uh, they're calling Under Armour like, uh, hoodies? What are guys, those? Please, <laughs> we need, we need space heaters, stat. We're going to need 20 space heaters. Um, yeah, if, if you're going to go to Wyoming, doing it in early September is a better time. But it is like, you know, you're going to feel like a lizard on a rock in the desert. It's going to be hot, right? Like, it, that's that's the other yeah. thing is that it, it'll be 90 degrees and it'll be right on top of you. Um, they do actually have a couple of my favorite non-conference games of the, the whole college football slate this year. Um, three games that I really like. That home Texas Tech game is going to be really good. Um, that's a great. Uh, that, that's that's a classic. Uh, P five team gets a little bit too big for its britches after one good season under a new coach, and then has to go and get just uh, you know hit with a rock for sixty minutes by Wyoming. And I think that Texas Tech probably wins that game. But boy, that's a that's a quick way to uh, to know if you're for real or not. Is is heading out yeah. to Laramie in week one. Um, then they go to Texas on September 16th. Another just just teams that need to get hit with a rock, getting hit with a rock. It's it's really, I, I appreciate the service that Wyoming is doing for us because they're not going to win those games, but it is just going to be really good to see Wyoming play at Texas, to see how Texas handles that, especially given that it will absolutely be looking, I think, ahead to the Alabama game, right? The Alabama game is not until the, the 23rd or the 29th or 30th or something. Yeah, I think it's the week after that. Um, and so that's great. We love that. We love that Texas is going to have to host Wyoming. It's, it's the week. It's after playing Alabama, which I think is oh, even God. more. I think that's even <laughs> more intriguing is you, you play, you go to Alabama and play, and then you're like, all right, well, like we get, you know, a G5 team. Yeah. And it's just like. We got fucking Wyoming. Yeah. And Wyoming's defense is just wired. And that fan base probably coming off a loss will be like, it'll be, it'll be very wine and cheese that day. Like that, that's a game where like, I don't think Wyoming will win, but that's one where even if like what happens last year in the Texas Alabama game happens again, where like Texas plays it close and everybody's like, Hey, you know, I know they didn't win again, but like, look at how they performed and then they beat Wyoming like 21 to 10. And it's just like, yeah. Ooh, yeah, no, maybe, maybe they just don't have it. Dude. And, and this Wyoming team is, they're just going to be so frustrating to play against too, because they've got Harrison Whaley back there at halfback. Um, and so you're hiding this, this, this tailback, this really hard to get on the ground tailback behind a gigantic offensive line. It's just, you're going to have to try and find this fucking needle in the haystack behind a, a, an offense that only wants to run the ball. And then on defense, you know, if you're if you're Texas, you're coming back from the Alabama game. You already got beat up by a bunch of five stars. You know, it's going to be a very physical football game. And now you have to deal with the fucking cocaine cowboys, Easton Gibbs and Wyatt Eckler. That's horrible. That sounds I think, awful. I think we're cooking here, too, because uh, you can, like, wh- whatever that theory Bruce Feldman had, like, back in, like, the early... Uh, the early 2010s where it's like the body blow theory. Yeah. And then it just like got run into the ground by everybody. Alabama was always looked at as like that team of, Oh, how do you do that week after like Nick Saban just runs the ball down your throat. Mm-hmm. And then 
of course, over the last like four or five years, Alabama has just totally shifted their identity into more of this freewheeling and dealing team. And like, if you haven't paid attention to kind of the things that Nick Saban has said, or like the people around Alabama's program have said about what their offense is going to be going forward, like they are moving back to running the rock and just being like, we are about to pound the shit out of you with this running game. And if you're Texas and they do that, and then next week you have to play Wyoming, that sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. Like, te- yeah, Texas is not going to lose that, is not going to lose to Wyoming, but boy, they're going to feel bad leaving that game. That is the Wyoming promise, really, is that even if you beat them, you're not going to feel good about it. There's they're no, taking a chunk out of you. Yeah, there is no satisfying way to beat Wyoming. It's going to be miserable. It, it just, it has to be, it has to be miserable. Um, really looking forward to get that game. That's going to be hilarious. Um, and then to round out their non-conference, they get App State at home. That's awesome. That's a fun game. That's a really yeah. fun one g5 game um utah state has one like that as well they're hosting james madison i love that i i would love to see more of the mountain west and sunbelt playing each other those are those are fun matchups yeah and that that app state game that's going to be a hungry ass program after kind of yeah. after how their season started and then how the rest of it went like that that is a very intriguing game and another team that that can play physical and is yeah. going to have a lot to prove this season that james madison game yeah, uh, that's that you said that's them in Utah State. Yes. Yeah. That's, different different that's episode. A, but goddamn, James Madison. Yeah. I will probably watch like three or four of their games last year. That's a fun team that yeah. I would not want to play like at any level. It sounds miserable playing those guys. Yeah, I, I think if I'm uh, if I'm Wyoming and I'm picking a Sunbelt team to host App State is the much easier game than James Madison, honestly, because I think App State is going to have to prove that they can hold up yeah. to that physically. James Madison, I have no questions about that. I'm I'm pretty confident that James Madison can hold up physically to whatever you throw at them. Yeah, <laughs> those guys sure. are those guys are nasty. That uh that defense, I know you collect the the you know the hard hits every week. That defense had some Bro. had some consistent hitters, and a lot of them are back. That team's gonna be really good. James Madison and Troy yeah. were the teams each week where I was just like, "Holy shit, these guys just punish offenses." Yeah, dude, that we're gonna have to have uh, you and me. We'll have to get back together here before the the season starts to just talk about some of our favorite G five games um, because. There are there are going to be some, some good really, ones. Yeah, there are going to be some good ones this year. And one of my favorite games of the entire season last year was that awesome South Alabama Troy game, which finished it finished like fourteen to oh, ten God. or something. It was super low scoring, but the 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 physicality in that game was I didn't see it matched like anywhere else. It, it with, with P five games, with fucking playoff games, with anything. Those dudes just they just throw their whole bodies at you, and they're so fast and so mean. Um, really fun, really fun to watch those games. Fun to watch Wyoming play because they bring sort of the same thing to the table. September sixteenth, James Madison at Troy. Oh my god, that's that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, we love that. We love the hard hitting G five teams. Um, all right, uh, we we're we're through. We've gotten through the Mountain West. Um, I don't know that I have a favorite here. I I think it's probably going to be another year where there's a bunch of nine and four teams. Um, hopefully it'll be a little bit more fun. Uh, you have uh, you have earned the opportunity to plug your stuff, Colton. Where can people find you? Yeah, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Dubsco. Uh, you can find me on the boards, meet at midfield, barking with the rest of the freaks. Um, I'm on YouTube, youtube.com slash Colton Denning. I got a lot of really fun shit up there right now. I just put out another worst game ever episode. It's Miami and Florida State from 2005. Mm-hmm. And I know it's good because Miami and Florida State fans are in the comments like, I love this. And I'm like, God damn, that is not what I expected. <laughs> uh, so go check that out. Also, over the next like three weeks or like month or so, 
uh, I'm putting out all that West Virginia stuff. Let's so go. All those guys that you would expect because there really isn't a lot on Steve Slayton and Pat White, which is like fucking insane to me. Yeah. And then a few other names who you could probably guess. And then like one really super random one. So I got, I think, seven players uh, from those the 2000s era, uh, West Virginia. And then shit, uh, read my stuff on twostripescpd.com. I got uh, uniform of the day talking all sorts of uniform stuff. And then uh, just, yeah, season preview stuff, a lot of Colorado stuff, a lot of Ohio State stuff. So uh, the usual, man. Yeah, yeah. Colton is doing the Lord's work over there. There are uh, there, there just there's a, a severe lack of, of, you know, highlights, honestly, of college football highlights from anybody that's not you, basically. Like just a couple of days ago, I was looking to try and find Matt Stafford highlights from Georgia and there's nothing. There's nothing it's fucking, up there. It's, 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 it's way like, crazier than like you would think. And a lot of them are either um they just have like a shit ton of music over them which yeah. like i i get that if you're younger like that's your thing i get it or they're from like 15 years ago and yeah. it's just like either grainy or they're two minutes long and i'm just like how was there a two minute matt stafford highlight yeah. video like we need <laughs> we need some big boys in here like let's yeah. get a 17 minute video up in this bitch yeah they're all it's, it's you know 240p and then they have like the worst song you've ever heard playing over the entire no children these days have no idea what it was like to like go onto youtube in the early days and every song is like by corn yeah like and it's just like a bunch of hard hitting and it's like the uh what's the fucking pod song where it's like click click pull literally every fucking video (laughs) from 2007 was that or like corn or Limp Biscuit, like it was such a dirty ass, grimy era. Yeah, yeah, just a different time, a different breed back then. Guys making highlight videos. <laughs> you had to, yeah, you, you had, had to be a real sicko yeah. doing that shit back in like 07. Yeah, yeah. So they're all, you know, if I'm doing the work for this, you're gonna have to listen to my favorite song, which is just four different corn songs played consecutively. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, everybody go check out all that stuff. I will have links to that in the description as well. Colton, always a pleasure, man. We'll have to get you back on before the uh, before the season starts. Um, yeah, this was fun. This was a great time. We'll uh, we'll see you guys all next week for uh, a regularly scheduled uh, Flipping the Field podcast. Um, Colton, take care, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm I'm excited to listen to uh, to next week as well and hear what Ryan has to say for himself off of uh, off of suspension. Yeah, well he's he's been put he's been uh, his his client baby Gronk has been doing very well this week, so I'm sure that Ryan oh is, is rolling in it. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next week.